Every time a child is born, the parents begin to make plans for that child. Now, the, plan, the child will be days old, weeks, maybe months. But the parents will have already decided what this child's gifts are, what this child will grow up to be. And every time the child does something, says something, looks a certain way, one of the parents will say, see, I told you, this is what this child is going to grow up to be. And so huddled in a stable around a manger, Mary and Joseph look at this baby Jesus and wonder what he will grow up to be. In their wildest imaginations, they aren't even close. No matter how big their dream was, no matter how high their expectations were, they couldn't come close to who this child would grow up to be. And if we were there, we would have told Mary and Joseph, ah, oh, you don't know this child. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we read Who this child grew up to be. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse, and his rider was called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. And he will rule them with an iron rod. He will trample them in the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And his name was written on his robe and on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings. And Lord of Lords, this is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. One of the mistakes we make, O oh Lord, is sentimentalizing Christmas. making the moment too cute, too pretty. But it was a dirty stable in a little town where you came into the world to complete what you had started in the world's creation, the redemption of all humanity. This child was born to fight this child was born to reign. This child was born king. So we pray in this Christmas season that as Christ is born, that most of all, he would be born to us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.
And now the book of Revelation moves to its extraordinary climax. This is the moment that the world has waited for. You will remember the Roman government had exiled John, the last of the living disciples, the bishop of Ephesus, the leader of all of the churches around Ephesus, to the island of Patmos. There is not much to this island that we call the island of Patmos. It's basically a rock that sticks up in the middle of the Aegean Sea. That's where they put John. There wouldn't have been many other people, if anybody else, on that island at all. That was the whole point. John was too popular to execute, but he was too powerful to ignore. So they put him to a place where they cut off communication. They thought that if he were by himself on this island, there wouldn't be any way to get word to the churches. No way for the churches to get word to him, and no way for him to contact Jesus. They were wrong. John tells us that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was by himself in exile on this island, and he goes to church anyway. He shows up to church, and there he is caught up in the moment of worship. And for in that moment of worship, the book of Revelation unfolds. We're given uh, letters to the seven churches. And as I've mentioned before, as you travel in your life, sooner or later you will be a member of every one of these churches. Sooner or later, what Paul wrote to Ephesus, what he wrote to Pergamon, what he wrote to Thyatira, will be a letter to the church that you're in. As you follow Christ sooner or later, one of these letters will be a letter to you. There's a reason that John chose the number seven or the number seven was given to him. This is for all people, for all time. This is all of us. This is everybody. Sooner or later, you're one of these seven churches. And if if the book of Revelation ended with those seven letters to those seven churches, it would still be worth the study of our life, the insights, the teachings. Uh, You keep being amazed. And one of the things about Scripture study is a child can read this book and understand it. And then you can spend the rest of your life, your entire life, studying the same book and be constantly overwhelmed and amazed by the mysteries and by the truths and by the realities that are unveiled. Every day I am surprised. Every day I learn something in a new way that I hadn't seen before. It is the wonder of this book that we call the Bible. After the seven letters to the seven churches, uh, John is caught up into the throne room of heaven. And there he sees the lamb on the throne. And there he sees history as it is unfolding and the future of humankind as it is now unleashed. There are seven seals. There are seven scrolls. And they they are opened. And each one brings a different judgment. Each one brings a different response from humanity. Until now in chapter 19, we come to the battle, Armageddon. If you look on any map of the Holy Land, there is a valley of Armageddon. 
And if you stand on certain hills, you can see where these mountains would literally funnel these armies across this plain. It's where a lot of major battles happened because of the terrain. And you can imagine that people thought that this is where this battle would happen. And this is where all of the armies of the world had gathered, gathered by the beast and his false prophet here to oppose God. This was not the first time the armies of the world had gathered. They gathered at Babel. Remember? They were going to build a tower that took them all the way to God. They were not going to wait for God to come to them. We were going to build a tower all the way to heaven. Remember how that turned out. This is Pharaoh who had the audacity to enslave God's people and then tell God there was nothing he could do about it. Oh, it happens all the time. When people stand up and say that God is not God and he will not rule and he will not be in control and we will not listen and we will not obey, but this is the last time. Revelation 19. And honestly, one of the most frustrating things about being a pastor is when I teach Revelation, I have to deal with the fact that most of you have never read this book. You've read books about the book. You've probably got several books about the meaning of Revelation, but what you didn't do was read this book. So you have in your mind that there's going to be a colossal battle that we've got to get signed up. We've got to get trained. We've got to go through boot camp. We've got to get on our assignment because King Jesus is going to have to fight and we're going to have to be there and, and we need to be there to help King Jesus because if Jesus doesn't have us on his side, wow, he may not make it. You need to read the text. You need to pay attention. One, did you notice how the army of Jesus Christ is dressed? We are wearing white linen. Now, I did not serve in the army, but I have watched the History Channel. <laughs> and I do know that when you go into combat, you do not wear white linen. You wear everything you can. You wear a bulletproof vest, you wear a helmet, you wear special boots, you wear everything to protect your body from the coming battle that you're going to come in even in the days of Jesus even in the days of John the soldiers would wear breastplates uh, uh, plates on their legs plates on their arms so that the the enemy could not hit them or or have an effective strike they protected themselves they didn't show up in white linen where did you show up in white linen church Oh, people of God, we don't need you to fight. You're invited to come worship. You're invited to follow King Jesus and sing songs of praise and glory and worship. We don't need you to fight. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. This is the most disappointing verse in all of the Bible. Look at what it says. But the beast was captured. That's it. 
That's, you can't make a movie out of that. The beast was captured. Now get the picture. The beast is here. He is confronting Jesus Christ. All of the armies that have pledged their loyalties to this beast are standing there thinking they have a chance. They're ready to do battle. Jesus shows up, looks at the beast, and captures him. It's over. Big fella in the back. Over here. It's over. There's nothing blowing up. Nothing catches fire. I would not see this movie. battle is over. Jesus who conquered death now conquers the beast. And what follows is worship. What follows is the completion. But this is who this child grew up to be. This is what happened. And we don't get that because too many of us still live in fear. Too many of us still live in captivity. Too many of us still live trapped in old failures. Too many of us still live hostage to addiction. We have no idea who this child is. The only thing we know right now is how big the beast is. Why? Because you spend all your time looking at your trouble. You spend all of your time looking at your pain. You spend all of your time looking at your failures. When revelation ends, we're just looking at Jesus. You don't think Jesus can do anything about what enslaves you, do you? If somehow you and I were able to step aside and I was able to hear your story, you would tell me, this one is too big. This mess is too big. You don't know where I was, Mike. You don't know what happened. You don't know what I did. You don't know what I said. You don't know who I betrayed. You don't know who I hurt. You don't know what I stole. You don't know what I did. And you would tell me about all of the times that you had tried to do something. How many times you had, pray, you had set a New Year's resolution and it didn't work? You would tell me about all of the times 
You went here to talk to this person or here to talk to that person. You would talk to me about all the times that you had tried to quit your addiction only to be caught back in it. And now for you hear me tell you that Jesus can kill the beast that threatens you. You don't think it's that easy, right? Mike, it's not that easy. Hold on. I didn't say it was easy. Never have I said it was easy. I want you to understand me. For you and for me, it's not easy. It's impossible. You get that? It is impossible. For you to try to undo what you have done, to fix what you have broken, to find again what you've lost, it's not that it is difficult, it is impossible. Why? Because it's the same you that made the mistake that's trying to fix the mistake. Same you. If you had been smarter, you wouldn't have made the mistake in the first place. If you had been stronger, you wouldn't be captive to your addiction in the first place. And now the same mind and the same strength, the same heart is trying to fix the problem that's already defeated you. You don't know this child. Isaiah, years and years before this child was born, told us that when this child is born, here's what you will call him. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. Somebody who knows Somebody who's understanding, somebody who gets it, somebody who gets you. That's what a good counselor does. But a good counselor help you find your way out. Now, isn't it funny that of all the things that Isaiah could have told us about this child who's going to be born, the first thing he tells us is that he's a wonderful counselor. He's one of those people that you can sit down with. And you can begin to tell your story and they get it. And then they can help you understand that it's not the addiction that is the problem. It's the hole in your heart you're trying to medicate. It's that pain you're trying to get away from. It's that hopelessness that you're trying to make disappear, that you keep trying to deal with, with whatever your drug of choice is. And until you deal with that hole in your heart, you're never going to be able to deal with the addiction. Yeah. Mighty God, somebody who's strong enough to do something about it. I tell you all the time, sympathy's overrated, <laughs> right? If I tell you I'm going through a bad time and you come up and say, hey, I know how you feel, Great. Two of us feel bad. 
need somebody who's strong when I can't be. I need somebody who's strong when I'm scared. I need somebody I can trust when I don't trust myself. Somebody I can look to who won't change and who won't run. Everlasting Father. If there is any crisis in our culture right now, it is the absence of dads. A lot of us are trying to make our dads proud of us, even though our dad isn't even part of our life. And we're making ourselves crazy and everybody around us crazy, trying to get an approval that we'll never get from our wounded dads. We have a father who can heal that Prince of Peace. Do you know Shalom? You know the word Shalom? We translate it peace. We translate peace meaning the absence of war. That's not what Shalom means. Shalom means completeness, wholeness, finished. Shalom, I wish you completeness. Christ is completeness. The finisher of what he started. Now I know, you're looking at me right now going, man, I wish you'd wrap this thing up. It is Christmas. <laughs> I've got to get home. I've got to get the house ready for the kids. I've got to get my Christmas shopping done. I I've got to get on the internet and see if maybe I can order something and if, they, if I pay for extra delivery, it'll be here in time. Santa always got here on time. We're not sure about UPS. you think in all of this hubbub of Christmas, you can get away from the pain that dogs you. You can finally get away from the beast, but the beast isn't going anywhere. He still stalks you. In the corners of your mind, in the shadows of your soul, you know who he is, you know where he is, and you know what he will do to you if he catches you. You know there is something and someone that's trying to destroy your life and destroy your soul. And right now, you're afraid and you think, if I just keep busy through Christmas, then I'll be all right. That's why January is so hard and it's so difficult and it's such a depressive month because many of us find out the beast has waited. you don't know this child. <laughs> oh, this child is much more than gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is the Jesus who calmed the storm on the sea. This is the Jesus who walked across the water. This is the Jesus who called the dead back to life. This is the Jesus who carried the cross up Calvary. This is the Jesus who hung there with the weight of all of our sins on him. This is the Jesus that was called back to life by the Father on Easter and now comes to you to give you that same life. You don't know this child. I hope, no, 
I don't care if you get what you want for Christmas. I hope you get what you need. And who you need is Jesus. You don't know this child. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, listen, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I know how hurt some of you are. I know how desperate some of you are, and I beg you, don't leave this morning still afraid. Don't leave this morning still lost and wounded. Our counselors, our ministers have already made their way back to a table that says, next steps. They're waiting for you to continue this conversation. Because I'm trying to say a whole lot and just a handful of words. This Jesus whose birth we celebrate is the conqueror in the book of Revelation. It's the same Jesus. This Jesus whose birth we celebrate is your Savior, my Savior. Conqueror of death. Bringer of life. Destroyer of the darkness carrier of the light and he's here now please don't leave here still afraid our counselors our ministers are waiting for you so they can help you understand who Jesus is what he's done and what he can do for you now perhaps just come be part of Brentwood Baptist Church you come however the Lord is leading you he's waiting for you where you are now so you come Lord Jesus every life it's open before you every heart. So we pray the choices we make are exactly what you want.